Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. You're listening to the recorded audio of a special Facebook Live episode called The Black Actor Conference. To watch the full video version, you can visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash B-L-A-Q show Michigan or at B-L-A-Q-N.org. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to the podcast or live video, if you're viewing this, where we honor and acknowledge Black women performers and discuss topics of equity, diversity, and inclusion in the talent realm of Michigan. My name is Ashley M. Lyle, and today is going to be different than the normal interviewing episodes once you, you know, tune in and listen to the debut episodes of this podcast. Today, we're, I'm joined here with six, five wonderful black actors Hi, that sorry um today like i said i'm joined here with five wonderful black actors and we are here to discuss our experiences in michigan theater in the most recent events the complex topic of race and racism have been all over the news especially the topic of how racist Broadway is. This has led to a surplus of voices yelling from the mountaintop in various art forms saying, yes, racism is here too, and there's a lot of it. I created Blacken and BQS uh, podcast platform as a goal to bring the voices forward and to be heard. So I hope that everyone will learn from this live episode. Now, let's introduce our panelists. We have Dinah Tutin. Hey, everybody. We've got Brianna Hall. Hi. Dan Johnson. Hello, hello, everybody. Mike Sandusky. Hello. And Jonathan Jones. How you doing? Um, our sixth panelist, uh, our sixth actor, uh, Gigi Martin, she wasn't able to attend. There was a, a sudden family incident. So our prayers are out there with her. We hope that everything is okay and you are with us in our thoughts. We love you, Gigi. Um, so let me just start off by saying that this conference is designed to be a safe space for Black actors to share their experiences without the consequence of being blackballed or harassed by their white counterparts or ADs. We will not mention names, theaters, productions, or the like, but we do hope that those viewing this will listen, empathize, change, and adapt. I'm just going to apologize in advance if you see me drinking from this um, to no labels. Uh, <laughs> if, if you, if you we're going to need we're going to need a lot of uh, a lot of uh, parchment. <laughs> because <laughs> we're going to be doing a lot of talking. There's a lot of topics that we are going to be discussing. Discussing. So, yes. So, to add on to that, I want to make sure that I fully acknowledge that there are six Black-owned theaters in Michigan and one Latinx POC-centered theater. And five, um, there are five in the Detroit area, one in Flint, and one in Kalamazoo. 
If there are more, please correct me. We have Shakespeare in Detroit, Plowshares Theater Company, Face Off Theater, Clubhouse Theater, Black and Brown Theater, Detroit Lighthouse Community Theater, and the new McCree Theater. Now, one more thing to also add is that there are three of these theaters that are Black women owned, and that's Shakespeare in Detroit, Face Off Theater, and Detroit Lighthouse Community Theater. And if you're feeling extra generous, um, and if you're feeling generous, please go and support those theaters by all means. Your support helps all POCs that are performing at their theaters and helps them to continue their shows. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can also donate to my organization, Blacken. Um, you can visit www.blaqn.org, or if you look in the description for the Facebook, you'll see um, my Cash App and Venmo and PayPal information. Now, let's get into our topics for today. Are you guys ready? Yes. You, you know I'm so ready for this. <laughs> All right. Code switching, microaggressions, and silence. So code switching is a survival tactic, and even with this survival tactic, Black actors are still faced with microaggressions that leave us pissed, shook, and or bewildered. And we end up staying silent, sometimes because we don't want to lose our jobs or be ostracized from the rest of the cast. So my panelists, I want you guys to explain an experience you may have had with microaggressions and how you handled it or didn't handle it. And then what can theaters and ADs, if they're not the ones causing the issue, do to support black actors when they are faced with microaggressions from their fellow white actors? Um, I, th I think maybe to start with, it might be helpful just for anyone out there who doesn't know um, to explain what code switching is. Mm -hmm. uh, code switching basically uh, is something that a lot of people of color um, do in terms of interacting in the world in which we find ourselves. There's basically a way that we talk to each other, a way that we behave with each other, a way that we act around each other, uh, and then the way that we act around white people. Um, you'll often hear the phrase job interview. Uh, basically, I'm putting on my job interview voice uh, because I'm going to be in an environment surrounded by white people. And so there is this idea that as a survival tactic, you try to sort of ingratiate yourselves with that particular environment, emulating behaviors, emulating ways of speaking, things like that. Um, so in terms of microaggressions, in some ways that I, I think, no, no, just in my experience, I think that's something that we all just sort of expect to come with the territory, you know? whenever we walk into uh, a theater environment, un unless it's a theater environment where it's uh, predominantly people of color, uh, predominantly black actors, black artists, th there's a certain level of that that I think we just expect going in and not even necessarily intentional uh, on the part of a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of it they may not just not be aware of, but there's still that sort of situation where they'll, they'll talk about something or they'll ask about something or joke about something. Um, 
and then they'll sort of look to you as the black representative uh, to either agree with them or explain something for them or let them know that, you know, what they said isn't actually problematic because here I am a black person agreeing with you or at least not criticizing you. Um, and that in and of itself can get pretty exhausting a lot of the time. Very. You know? Very. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing to point out is that there have been instances where, um, and, I, and I don't know about you guys, but I know that I have, uh, where, and this kind of flows into the next topic that we'll be talking about is that we don't sound black enough or that, um, that, we're so, that we sound like we're white or that we're the whitest black person people know or ridiculous things like that. You know, it, it, and it's, girl. exactly, exactly. And you know, it, it's, it's honestly something that we don't need to hear. We don't need to hear that. That doesn't define who we are. That's just the way that we speak. I, 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 this is something that I, I know I personally run into a lot of the time, um, particularly depending on the theater that I'm, I'm working in. Um, I already know walking in the door, people aren't gonna know what to make of me because I'm black, but I'm not black in a way that they might assume a black person is, which what exactly is that? Right. Um, and so there'll be this sort of confusion about, okay, well, we're looking for a black actor for this. Are you capable of being black enough? I'm, I'm like, uh, yes, I live yeah. in America. I'm, I'm, I'm black, I promise. You're black in an audition. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know how to take that note. Can you sound more like a black woman? Well, I, I am one. Inherently, my voice is the voice of a black person. My speech is the speech of a black person. Mm -hmm. I right. sound black because I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mike, you were going to say something? Um, yeah, I've experienced uh, something of the opposite, actually. Um, I do a lot of musicals and the bulk of my vocal training is from church. So often I get the critique of, can, the, can you not be so soulful? You know what I mean? <laughs> and, or, you know, pretty much just telling me to like dampen, you know, who I am so that whatever their image of this character is can come across to their audience. And that, you know, does not sit right with me either because you know all I know how to do is be soulful or to sing with emotion because that's how I was trained mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if that's not what you're looking for in your show then I don't know how to make that shape because if I alter my voice then it's not authentic I've actually run into the issue of performing in a piece that is set in a certain time period um, and they're like hey, I need you to, uh, you know, jive it up a little bit. And like, that's not even an accurate statement for this time period. That wasn't even a phrase that was coined yet. So performing in a space where you were, where you've actually done your homework, where you've actually studied this time period, these clothing, these, the dialogue, the, the mannerisms, like I'm, I'm not me, I'm this person 
in this world and, and I'm trying to exist in this world. And you're telling me, well, you know, we got you because you know you you know you had you supposed to have that like no, that's not what exists in this piece. So mm-hmm. why are you trying to insert that if it's for my comfort, I don't need it. Um, this is what we're doing. And if you're trying to appease somebody else because oftentimes there's some type of grant or some type of association monetarily associated with that, that you're trying to appease somebody, that doesn't, that that draw, that detracts from my skills and talents as, as a professional actor. Mm-hmm. I was once given a direction um, where it was it was it was this wonderful fantasy character, and it was expected of her to have this certain tone to her voice. But then when I actually, you know, just for just for the gag of it, said it in like my voice, like and, and I was told, oh. Don't say it's so hood-like. Yeah. Mm. Bring down oh. the hood. So. Hood. Yeah. Here's, a, here's another question. Um, <laughs> how many people have ever been asked to be more urban? Unfortunately, be, I yes. haven't, but I've heard stories. Yes, to be more urban yep. or to be more hip-hop. Mm-hmm. You know. So, what do you guys think that theaters should do to support black actors when they're faced with microaggressions from their fellow white actors or ads? Say something. Open your mouth and say something, and don't just be and don't just giggle it off like, oh, see, what I think what happens is, um, with, with the microaggressions, people get scared. And they don't know what to say, so they sit there silently, and they're just kind of like, uh... And then they'll come up to you afterwards privately and say something. But it's like, no, you have to say it publicly, because a lot of times they'll just say it. Whether they know they whether they know there's microaggression or not, sometimes I will say they're not, they don't know what they've said. But no, you got to say something. got to give it a voice. Mm-hmm. I agree with uh, Dinah. Mm-hmm. No, completely agreed. Um, like, if if you are trying to support us, um, support isn't helpful if it's just to us. Support is support for us within the entire environment, um, and that includes everybody, uh, you know. And so, giving a voice to it, like Dinah said, in the moment, um, and that's something that I think I think I know I personally have gotten pretty used to uh, and pretty good at. If I'm dealing with something that is verging on being particularly problematic, I'm, I'm used to advocating for myself. I think all of us are. Um, but for theaters and ADs, you know, who aren't black, who aren't black indigenous people of color, you know, white people, um, absolutely say something. You, you know, especially if you, if you look at us and we're looking at you like, well, that's kind of wrong. Um, you can see we're uncomfortable. You can see that we're upset or a little frustrated. Um, so speak up. It's okay. Um, 
the other thing that I think that theaters can do is particularly people before they even say anything, you know, if, if just check, just check yourself real quick. Like it's understandable if you want to make light of certain situations, but before you say anything, play it in your mind. And is, is this, is what I'm saying racist? Maybe I shouldn't say it if I have to question it. Um, so let's go on to the next topic. And that is racist theater jokes. Ooh, that's a fun one. Uh, <laughs> so as cast members grow closer and feel more comfortable with each other, playful jest happens. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when jest becomes more microaggressions, harassment, or just full-blown racism, it becomes a problem. So explain a moment when a fellow theater person approached you with a racial theater joke and you were too aghast to say anything and how and how you dealt with it i think a lot of the time for me it's not so much that people are telling racist jokes as it is the appropriation from theater people of of black culture and especially black female culture or black femme culture um there's there's just a lot of like neck rolling, a lot of snapping, a lot of mm-hmm, girlfriend, oh no, you didn't, that like is is directed at me that like I've never put out there. And so it's like, why do you come to me with this energy? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and think that that's something that that is healthy or that is the way that I communicate because I've never communicated with you that way. Um, and I, I think that's a huge problem that like, Black fan presenting people in theater. In mm-hmm. I was in a situation in, well, in a cast once where um, the director was telling their cast, okay, I want you to be excited. I want you to give me energy, but not Baptist church excited. I'm, wait, <laughs> somebody <laughs> said not Baptist <laughs> church excited or did you, or did you add no, that? No, no, no. No, the director, the white director said, but not Baptist church excited. No. <laughs> and then not only that, but there were, there were two people that were part of the entire cast and crew, two black people, myself and another person. And we just, we, we exchanged looks like, did, did that person really just say that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that's all you really can say, you know, because when you're already committed and when you're in the middle of a show, when you actually say something, then you get ostracized and then everybody doesn't want to deal with you because you're labeled as being difficult or hard to get along with. The with attitude. Yeah. Or the one that's always yeah. saying something. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I have an example of this. Um, th- this example is going to be a, a really fun one um, in terms of what you were talking about, Ashley, in terms of feeling like, okay, well, should I say something? If I say something, is it going to be a problem for me now? Is it going to be a problem for me down the road? Um, because I, I do think that a lot of Black actors, when they encounter these situations, 
sort of do this mental calculation in their head, which is basically, should I say something? If I say something, is it going to set me apart from the rest of the cast? If I say something, is this going to escalate to a point where, say, a stage manager gets involved or a director gets involved? Or if it's serious enough, maybe a company manager or an artistic director gets involved. If that happens, are they going to mark me down as being difficult and not potentially work with me again at this theater? If that happens, is word going to get out about me on this particular production that I was difficult or hard to work with? And then that will affect potential other employment in other places in the community. Um, so this particular example involved working at a theater. Uh, it was during a break and it was myself, um, one other black person, and we were working with a predominantly white cast. And this one actor started telling a story, one white actor, uh, started telling a story about experiences that they had had. Um, and over the course of the conversation, the N-word got used. And even the first time that it was used, um, it was used in such a way where the person was sort of checking, um, you know, like, oh, well, okay, I mean, I know, you know, but I just got to say it, but, you know, I don't want to necessarily, you know, just because, just because, which, if you have to start anything by saying, I know this might be racist, but just don't, just don't. Um, yeah, not a, not right. a good way to lead into a damn conversation. <laughs> right. Um, but then they felt that they were okay to use it um, and continue to do so. Then later adding that they had the ability to use it because they came from a particular place. Now, I absolutely did not co-sign on this, but in the moment, I did that mental calculation in my head and I went, this could potentially not end well for me if I say something about it right now. Um, because I didn't know at the time that even if rightfully, I said, okay, wait up, no, no, this is a problem that I would have enough support from the people around me. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was not a great day. Yeah. What about you, Jonathan? Have you experienced something like that? My, um, my experiences tend to fall into the same category of familiarity. Once we've been around each other for a while or we've been around each other um, in intense moments, people feel real comfortable. Uh, and so they start to uh, take those liberties. Um, so I've had a, several of those situations where people are like, yeah, man, that, mm, 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 is it, okay? yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's okay if I say it though, right? It's not okay. Um, it's not even terminology that I'm going to use with you. So I definitely don't want you using it with me. Um, but it's the reverse code switch. Mm -hmm. It is, I'm going to talk to my castmates 
um, one way, but I'm going to talk to you a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and yep. I've gotten that from the cast members up to ADs, up to directors. I literally had a director tell um, uh, my scene partner, well, I need you to really focus on uh, making sure that you have this blocking down because he's just going to do what he wants. And I'm like, this is the blocking you gave us. Like, I don't, I don't think that's right. I mean, I'm pretty sure I didn't put that much um, rhythm into it. And I'm like, mm. it's 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 a dance. Um, so it should have rhythm. Um, and these are the steps that were taught to us. So this is I understand that you don't remember, um, and apparently neither does my senior partner, but fortunately here are the notes. Uh, these are the things that you had us to do. Like, oh, well, I didn't know that you wrote this down. Like, I can write. Um, I can remember. Um, I'm an actor. This is what we do. Jonathan, uh, hold your thought for just a second, because it looks like, according to the chat, some people are having a hard time hearing. Um, hold on a second. Um, if you're viewing this in the chat, um, kind of give us a thumbs up if everything, if the sound is coming through smoothly, um, if the videos are coming through smoothly, just give us a thumbs up. Perfect. Okay, perfect. Perfect, perfect. Thank you guys for thumbs upping. Um, but continue continue your story, Jonathan. It's just, it's a matter of recognizing that I am a person of color, um, but I'm a person that has to be a person of color. Unless this, the role or the show is specifically dictated towards my background or my race, then it shouldn't be automatically assumed that I should be one way all the time. We should, as actors, be adaptable to what the role is. Mm -hmm. And our castmates should be aware of that as well. And so the idea of, hey, Tommy, how you doing? Yo, what up, Jay? How you feeling? Like, that, that's a problem in that. Right, right. Yeah. Anybody else have uh, something they want to add? Yeah. Um, I've even noticed in a lot of the experiences that I've had that the way, even the way that my critiques are delivered are different from how my white castmates get their critiques delivered. Um, it seems to be like a, a, a bit of like caution when I'm getting notes. I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced that, but like, it just seems like they have to like, oh, the deep breath before they get to me. And it's just so easy to speak to, it's easier to speak to my white castmates than it is to tell me what I did wrong as if I'm going to respond any differently from anybody else. So that's one thing that I experience a lot. 
Um, one thing that I, that I kind of want to add on to what Brianna was saying at the top of this topic, um, it is never okay to describe a black woman as Medea, ever, 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 ever. I have experienced it myself and I have seen an auditioner experience it. It is never okay to refer to a black woman as Medea. Um, yeah, we are our own individual person. Um, whether if you don't like something that we did or what we're wearing or what we sound like or what we look like, it is never okay to refer to us as some fictional character that is a man dressed up as a woman. It's just never okay. Um, anybody else have anything else to say? I just, I know we're not naming names, but who did this? <laughs> I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. Yeah. horrible. Yeah. Theater. <laughs> we need you to drop that name in the comments or something. Like, uh, yeah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I just, not I right just now. Talk to no, we can't I mean, do that. You we can inbox us like, because then Inbox us later. Like, inbox just... me now. Like so I feel like unfriended if I'm friends with them. I feel like I need to go paint that street. Uh, <laughs> like you might know them, but we're not. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We are not. That's we fair. are not. That's fair. So, and, so and, but we, but we will find out. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. So, <laughs> the the routine masculinization of black women is is another whole topic that I oof, feel like we need to speak get on into. it. Speak on it. I just, I Black women can never be feminine. Right, never. exactly. Because, because there's, there's some implication that, that darkness and femininity are mutually exclusive. And, and here's the thing, I've walked into women's bathrooms in, in theaters and had signs posted like, you know, if you're secretly a black man or blah, 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 all these transphobic comments. Um, that like oh if you if you're standing up to pee this means you Brianna don't don't stand in this bathroom um and and not only is that transphobic not only is that just all kinds of messed up from a, a gender perspective absent of me the only difference between me and these people who are posting these signs in this bathroom is that I'm black is the, that that's that's the real thing somebody actually did post up signs in bathrooms mm -hmm. So you're definitely going to say where that happened, right? <laughs> not, not on this call. Not on this okay. call. No, but, um, but I, honestly, like the masculinization of black women um, is so endemic on so many levels. And this, I will, um, the example I'm about to use goes back to the creation of art itself. Um, I have a friend, an extremely talented uh, black woman who is an, an actor, um, who did a show once. Uh, that featured two women, um, one white woman, one black woman. And the character description for the white woman was, and I quote, white, live, and lovely. 
whereas the black character was described as almost mannish. Mm. You know, so when it when it comes to trying to tackle this problem from all perspectives, and I do think it needs to be tackled from all perspectives, in some ways this goes right back to looking at the art that you are trying to put out into the world. Um, if you're an artistic director and you happen to notice those kinds of character descriptions, you know, um, and going off of those character descriptions within the show itself, that stereotype absolutely, at least on the page, carried through to the characters and how the characters were written, you know. So right from the jump, it's hugely problematic and hugely dismissive um, and damaging to any black woman who would be asked to play that part, yep. you know. Yeah, I've been asked to be less feminine in callbacks as well. Like mm -hmm. this is, this is, this is a black woman. So you know, just like a, a little bit less. And and the word that they were searching for was feminine. A little less, a little less delicate. You know, you're you're a, a strong black woman, and I'm like, I, I I am one. I'm very strong. I'm dealing with this with grace right now. <laughs> exactly. So 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 in other words, the strong black female archetype means that she can't be delicate, meaning that she can't be can't have a moment of weakness, meaning that she can't um, show any type of empathy to to always be on guard, to always um, have to hold every single damn situation up herself. Mm -hmm. and, and this ties into... <laughs> This ties into a, a topic that I'm hoping that we cover later, where I feel like theaters don't trust black actors and black people to experience the breadth of human emotion. There, there is no nuance. There is one person, one writer, one AD, one director, one MD's decision about what it is to be black. And that comes from a white perspective and is inherently reductive. Yep, yep. Um, I think all of us deal with, um, certainly, you know, because all of us have been working around here for a while, um, all of us understand the perspective of trying to work within the context of whiteness. Because in so many areas, in so many theaters, it is entirely a white perspective, including mm -hmm. a white perspective as to how black people should be, or how black people are, or how black people feel, or how black people experience emotions. And a lot of the inherently racist and frustrating and problematic things that you sort of encounter, because there is that lack of any perspective other than a white perspective, will be spun to you as a positive. Like, okay, yeah, sure. So you're not expected as a black woman to have any kind of real emotion or weakness, but that's empowering, right? because you're a strong black woman, right? So shouldn't you feel like you're empowered on the stage? You know? The only problem with the, with the, with the black woman, it is usually in, in one aspect that she's loud and she's angry. 
that's what they're that's where they put him. Loud and angry, doesn't have any type of, there's no vulnerability. She is not allowed to be vulnerable, not allowed to have that open that open space. It's bam. You're angry, you're loud, and you're going to, and everyone's going to know. And, yeah, and then there's that, that masculine aspect. Yeah, ugh. And it's like, wait a minute, no. If you're going to be an actor, you have to be multidimensional. Don't look at me and tell me that that's all you see me as. Now, I know personally for myself, it's, I haven't gotten so much of the speaking. It's more about physically for me, and it's usually my hair. They get scared. As soon as they look at me, they look up. I have seen them look up at my hair, and they're like, oh, crap. Yep. What are we going to mm-hmm. do? Oh. Mm-hmm. And, and they come over, like, one of the last shows that I did, um, they were kind of like, um, you know, um, we could get someone to do your hair, or, you know, you could get a wig, because, um... Yeah, your natural hair, um, and it was like, all right, take it easy, take a breath. I, I will handle it. And you can, you can see the relief there. Oh, Lord, thank goodness. <laughs> it was like they were freaking out trying to figure out what they were going to do with my hair. And I'm just like, okay, yeah. And like I said, I have gotten this more often. They look at me, and then they look up, and it's like, first oh, of I can all, just calm down. <laughs> first of all, we are black women. We know how to do our own hair. We've had our hair for a number of so many years. I've had black hair last time I calculated for 33 years. So I know how to take care of my hair. And quite honestly, uh, in addition to that, I have worn my hair naturally for the past um, 15 years. I have not put a perm in my hair in the last 15 years. I barely straighten it, but I take care of it. I know how to take care of my roots. I know how to take care of my kinky coily texture. So I don't need somebody do my hair when I clearly know how to do it. And to ask me, what are you going to do with all that hair? I'm going to braid it back. What you expect me to do? I'm going to braid it back, put it in a wig, and then we're going to keep the ship moving. Let's go. (laughs) have either of you had to bring your own wig to a production because the people who are in charge of hair and makeup aren't able to find a texture that fits you not in the sense where where i've had people that did hair uh hair and makeup because quite honestly in in my own experience i've I've never had anybody really do my hair because i always did it because i don't trust nobody else to do my hair um but I have always, I've always suggested bringing a wig because whenever I'm thinking about my character, I think about the outer appearance and what he or she or they, whomever, whatever character I'm playing looks like from the outside. And then I'm able to design how she looks. Um, when I was getting ready for, and I'm going to mention this because this is in a positive light, uh, rules for active shooters. When I was getting ready for that, I knew exactly how I wanted my character to look. And it was a salt and pepper, short bob cut wig. So I just braid my hair back, tuck it up in there and it's secure and it's good. 
Yeah, I love a wig for a production because sometimes she just wants what she wants. And, uh, <laughs> She's got a mind of her own. She is, is, is wonderful to have, not feeling pressured to plan in advance. But the thing is, is that a lot of people don't know that we plan our hair in advance. That's a concept that is foreign. And so there's just, there's just a, lot of, a lot of listening that I feel like some theaters could do with respect to with respect to yes. black women and how we care for our hair and, and, you know, just black people in general and how we care for our hair. It's so interesting. Um, do any of you guys watch uh, hashtag book on Instagram? Well, it, it's a, it's a, funny, I, it's a very, very I do. entertaining uh, Instagram account, Facebook account where uh, these two black women, they talk about their experiences as actors. They, they originally got, they, they, these two originally met at the Goodman Theater in Chicago and they became friends. They started this platform and they started talking about issues such as hair and the, um, I cannot remember their names for the life of me because I'm terrible with names, but one of the women, they, um, showed this gigantic bag full of hair products because she said, don't nobody on the set know how to do my hair but me. So she's got her entire bag full of hair products, her wig that she's gonna wear on set, and then she's good. She does what she needs to do. And then when she's done for the day, she takes the wig off, let her hair breathe, and then she's good to go. But then nobody, and when, when we're talking about TV, TV, being on TV sets or movie sets, what have you, they don't have anybody for us to, to depend on to do our hair. None. Because they don't know to, they don't, they don't know to think about that. Or, or makeup no, shades or microphone or shades. Yep. I was in a production where the theater had to purchase microphones in like the, the actual earpiece to accommodate a black actor because they'd never had one in a lead before. So now, before we stray too far off the topic, <laughs> how should white castmates respond if they hear another cast, white castmate, director, or AD saying theater jokes to their BIPOC actors? I mean, honestly, I think this is, there's going to be the same response to a, to a lot of these particular questions, which is say something, which is call it out, which is if you know that something is problematic, um, hold on, Dan. talk to your white castmate. I'm sorry, Dan, hold on. You okay, Dinah? Oh, yeah, I have to switch phones over. Okay. Uh, give me one second. Okay, mute your, mute your mic for okay, me, okay? Can you okay. Um, I'm sorry, Dan, go ahead, continue. No, no, no. Um, just like saying something, confronting them in the moment, confronting them right then, you know, saying it publicly, saying it for the entire room to hear. And then following up, it's like, okay, but could you see that when you were saying this, this person was acting in a certain way or that th this landed wrong with them, you know? Um, hey. White people, I've, I've noticed, are often afraid to talk about race in general. But for some, for some reason, 
they are particularly uncomfortable talking to other white people about race. Which is hilarious to me because they'll talk about it with us uh, all, all the live long day. But when it comes to actually confronting another white person and saying, you, you know what, that, that was racist, that was wrong, uh, for, for some reason it gets very, uh, you guys, this is so good. You know, um, which, which again is, is not very helpful or useful, you know. Honestly, think, if, uh, oh, I'm sorry, John, go ahead, go ahead. I think it's the, the fear of being ostracized by the people that look like you. Um, it is the same reality that most men face when it comes to standing up for women. Like, you hear your boy saying a joke, say something. But if I confront him and be like, it's easy to go to the girl and be like, man, I know that wasn't cool, you know. I, you know, we got to do something as people to get better at this. Why don't you tell that to him? Because I don't want him then going to tell the other guys, like, oh, he's not one of us. And mm -hmm. everyone, men, women, black, white, dogs, cats, everybody is afraid of being rejected from their liking groups. There is a serious fear of being other. Other is the scariest term everyone has ever experienced. If you've ever been in that situation, we've all been in that situation in theater, you've been in that situation at your job, you've been in that situation at school, you are the other. You are the only black, you are the only woman, you are the only mm -hmm. uh, person of your, that identifies with your gender. You're the only person that identifies with your sexual orientation. You are the only. Being other, is the scariest thing in the world because people have a tendency and a likeness to want to conform, to just blend in, to just be accepted. And the idea of standing up and saying that joke was racist then leaves me in a space where I could then be left in the other zone with you. And I don't want to be that. Everybody's afraid to be that. Is it right? Absolutely not. Is it real? Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. I'm very glad you said that, Jonathan, because I, I personally can empathize with that perspective. I can understand where it's coming from. Um, okay, so you don't want to put yourself in a position where you are seen as other, but you're already advocating on behalf of another person. So are you saying that when you're saying you don't want to be put in a position of other, oh, you don't want to be put in a position like the person of color who was wronged in the first place. So you're saying that you don't really want to be like us. Oh. Acknowledging it's inherently worse to be black in America. Right. And that's an uncomfortable realization. Right. Because if you acknowledge it. That it's better to be white. Yeah. Then you if you acknowledge it, then you have to change it. Exactly. You, you exactly. can't acknowledge it and not change it. Mm -hmm. And if I acknowledge it, then I'm now obligated to not only lift it up, but to advocate for actual actionable change. And that means that I might lose some of my privilege, that I wasn't fully prepared to even acknowledge I had. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there, there is the alternate perspective 
you, you can acknowledge that something is a problem and then choose to do nothing to address it um, and choose to do nothing, you would be trash, but it is still an option. You know, that, that option is out there for you should you choose to pursue it. But nobody wants to be labeled as trash. Honestly, ideally, most people want to be labeled as savior. <gasps> Who? We get into that white savior topic. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> Getting back to the topic about being isolated. Yes. Alienation by your white cast members. Um, So there are moments intentional or not, personal or not, where black actors are isolated by their fellow castmates. And these moments are usually unexplained. So I'd like for you guys to explain a moment of isolation or alienation from your castmates. Hmm. <sighs> um. Mike, were you gonna say something? Yeah, let me go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I am often the only black person in a cast. Um, I went to a historically black college. That's where I got my foundation in theater. So that's not, that's something that I'm not used to. So going into cast, I'm already uncomfortable because I'm the only black person. But at the same time, I want this to not only be a good show, but I want it to be a cordial experience. You know, I want to make new friends and everything like that. But I always feel like it takes all of my white castmates, the entire rehearsal process, the entire run of the show to get comfortable with me. Um, I try to talk, the, the response is limited. So then I feel like I'm not wanted. So every time we take five, take 10 or whatever, I'm sitting somewhere by myself on my phones, probably texting you, Ashley, or my other friends. You know what I'm saying? And then magically closing weekend or the week before, not everybody wants to be my friend. And by that time, I'm like out of it. It's too late. I'm about to, we moving on. You don't know me. I don't know you. Let's just cut it right there. And that's like, wait a minute. We had a whole month. We this show has been running for for uh, for four weeks. We rehearsed for What's four going weeks, and we ran for almost a month and a half. I'm I'm not trying to get to know you now. You know, it's too late. You you figured out I, that I was a good person. The closing the closing night. I don't you know, and that is extremely uncomfortable. And sometimes you know, it's it's very heartbreaking. You know, it's like. I don't even have the words anymore. It's just, you know, it's just like, it, it makes my blood boil. It makes me upset. You know, I know we're not here to make friends. We're here to put on the show, but this can be an enjoyable experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they have to go out of their way to make me comfortable, but it's just something called being nice, you know? Honestly, and that, that, that doesn't always happen. Honestly, to Mike's point, um, 
and these are my personal experiences and what I've actually seen happen to other uh, fellow actors of color. Um, there is the initiation of, again, you're other, you're something different. So we're, we're cautious of you. We're even afraid of you. Um, so we don't really want to interact with you in this, uh, in this, this time where we're supposed to be bonding um, through our rehearsal processes. Um, we finally open the show and people are a little more relaxed and now you're actually switching me over from the threat to your magical Negro. And by the end of the close, now it's like, oh my God, you're the best thing that's ever happened in life. I can't wait to see you again. Like, what's my last name? Like, we don't know each other. Get away from me. We are not friends. We were castmates in this show. And ideally, I don't want to be in another show with you. Like, I don't want to see you again. All of that is true. <laughs> oh, all of it. I, I can think of one particular experience. Um, I admit, I, I personally uh, have not dealt as much with the with the fear aspect of it, of, of people necessarily being of, afraid of me. Um, I think in part just because I have this face, but um, there was one instance where I was, I was touring a show. I was the only black person in the cast. I was the only person of color in the cast. Um, and it was a tour for schools. And after each performance, there would be a question and answer session between the cast, the uh, director, the, you know, and whatnot, and the students. That entire year that I was on tour for that show, I got exactly one question. Do you know that you look like Jordan Peele? Or actually, uh, I, got, I got a variant of that question as well, um, because you know, they can't tell Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key uh, apart. So sometimes I get that question as well. Do you know that you look like Keegan-Michael Key? Nothing about the performance, nothing about uh, approaching material as an actor, nothing about what it was like being on tour, uh, questions that every other actor in the show got. I only ever got, do you know that you look like Jordan Peele? Um, and everyone else in the cast had feelings about it, more or less. And everyone else in the cast, there were a couple who would check in with me, but nobody actually said something. Um, nobody actually corrected it. Nobody actually even used it as a pivot um, to try to bring me into the conversation as an actor. Uh, it just sort of sat there until one day at one school after getting asked that question for about the 75th time, um, I did say to that little white boy in the audience, oh, so you think all black people look alike? No, no, no one else was going to say anything. How did the kid respond? Uh, well, of course, the entire auditorium went, oh. Um, because black people are funny and do right. cool stuff. Right, 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 right. right. <clears throat> oh, and then, and then afterwards, the rest of the cast said, oh, well, good, good for you for saying something. But well, you shouldn't have to say something. Right. 
right. This one, I shouldn't have to be in that position in the first place. And two, this is now towards the end of the year of this tour. Again, you know, uh, now now is not the time. Cool. Thank you for congratulating me on attempting to reclaim some sort of dignity from a high schooler. And thank you for your lack of advocacy or encouragement up to this particular point. I think the but, other thing that we, we also need to acknowledge is the, the layer of colorism involved as well. Um, some white people feel more, feel safer speaking to someone like my complexion, Dan's complexion, Brianna's complexion, before they speak to Mike or John, Jonathan or Dinah's complexion, because they're afraid what might happen. Yep, and I was just about to say, there's a reason why Dan and I have never experienced fear and Mike and John have. Yep, yep. yep. It's absolutely true. And, and it sucks. Because but... at the end of the day, whether, whether if we're light-skinned or dark-skinned, we're still Black, period. And we're still human. So if you're going to be in this production with us, you ain't got to like me, but you damn sure got to respect me. I have actually experienced the reverse. Um, okay. I have experienced the reverse where I have worked on shows where it's like, oh, hey, Dan, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, nice to meet you, nice to work with you, da, 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 da. And so they're comfortable with me um, until it gets to a point where something that's problematic or racially loaded or flat out racist is said. And then I check them on it. Mm -hmm. And then the reaction sometimes is, oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, we mm. thought you were one of us. I had to do that in, in the Medea situation. Mm -hmm. in, when mm -hmm. someone was describing uh, an auditioner as being Medea, I said, that's absolutely rude. And the room got silent. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. which what did you expect me to say? First of all, I shouldn't have to say anything at all. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have said anything at all. But since we're here, what did you expect me to say? You expect me to laugh and be like, oh, that's so funny. No, it's not funny because it, that's not what she's here for. She is not here to be your punching bag and to refer to her as a man in drag. Not that there's anything wrong with men in drag, but it's it's Medea. Yeah. For you to describe her as Medea of all people. Anyway. Um, real quick, I'm I'm sorry guys. Um I literally just got a message uh from my supervisor that I'm being pulled into a work meeting. Ah, um, okay. So I have to go, but okay. um this has been amazing. Um I love all you guys. I uh, love can't you. Wait to see even more from you guys. Can't wait for the world to open up again so we can do this. Um, yes. In, yes. In real time, Absolutely. In, mm -hmm. in <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Jonathan. I yeah. really, I appreciate every 
bit of this time that you put into helping us, helping me put this together. So I really appreciate it. Uh, keep this rolling. Like this is amazing. Um, and it's a beautiful forum for everybody to be able to do this thing. Mm -hmm. It's done. I love you all. Bye. Love you. Bye brother. Bye. Okay. So continuing on, we know that, that in, in a situation such as alienation and isolation, um, what should fellow castmates do to be more inclusive to their black castmates? Like how should they make us feel welcomed and comfortable? I think it has a lot to do with what Mike said. Oh, sorry. Um, I would say interact. If I say hello, say hi back. If I engage you in conversation, say something back. We don't have to have a full out, you know, three hour conversation, but be considerate, be nice, you know? I think um, just to add on to that, um, like we're here to do the same thing that you're here for, and that's to perform, you know? So if you like something that we did, just say something, you know? Yeah. Just, just say something like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, you know, you, I really enjoy the way that you, you, you're portraying this character, this and that, and that. but don't, don't, don't reverse code switch and be like, girl, you did that. Yes, you did that, girl. Yeah. Don't do that. I never hear that again. <laughs> you know, it makes me feel funny whenever I hear that. Whenever I hear, you know, white kid, they be like, girl, hey, and I'm just like, you it's just like that. in the pit of my stomach. It feels weird. It really mm -hmm. does. And I'm just like, can you please stop doing that? Right. Like, you don't, you but don't. I, I don't say that, but inwardly, I'm, cr I'm cringing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then to, to make us feel welcomed and comfortable, you know, all the stuff that we mentioned before about microaggressions and theater and theater or racist theater jokes, you know, just don't, just don't do that. You know, that's how you can make us feel welcomed and comfortable, you know? Um, and we, we don't need, we don't need you to hold our hand because we're grown people and we know how to take care of ourselves. However, you know, if, if we're feeling it, if we're working in a theater where it's perpetual rudeness, perpetual uncomfortableness, we're not coming back to the theater at all. But then in certain, certain situations, and this is one of the topics we're going to get into, you know, we get into those situations where we can't talk about, um, where we can't talk about it because, or deal with it because we might this is like maybe the closest theater to us or this is the only one that we feel like we can only get into, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so let's move on to tokenism. Yeah. Good child. <laughs> this is a loaded one. So, it is. <laughs> so white theaters are well known to pick shows that center around or that just happen to have a token character of color, particularly a black character. But when theaters pick shows that have a token character, it makes it clear to other actors of color that they want their token BIPOC and that's it, which ends up pushing away other talented BIPOCs for, uh, for their shows. And sometimes those token roles are created based on harmful stereotypes. 
So I want you to explain a moment where you played, a, where you or someone you know played a token character and how the fellow actors behaved with you. Um, I would say, uh, because this is one of the insecurities that I'm still dealing with, um, I struggle with when I am specifically asked to audition for a role, the first thing I do is look up to see if the character is Black. Um, and mo <laughs> generally, it is a Black character. Um, so then I'm left questioning, am I getting this part because I'm Black? or do you actually think that I'm talented? And so I really don't know how to answer this question because that's something that I struggle with still, you know? Um, I don't know if the parts that I have been casted in where the, the character is specifically, it's a black character or they wanted it to be black, is that tokenism? Um, you know, these questions still run through my head. So I'm interested in hearing what everybody else has to say, because I would really like to get over this hill so that I can progress in my career. Um, <clears throat> I would say in, in my situation, um, I was in a, in a musical and I wasn't, I wasn't the token character, but I was the token actor. And during one of the songs, um, and this kind of goes back to to the the racial theater jokes, where as I was singing my part, one of the actors start kept throwing up the Wakanda salute and doing doing this stuff, and it's like really, and I, and I mean, I don't mind a good joke, and I laughed at it the first time, but it, he kept doing it every time I was doing that part, every single time. And it's like, okay, it was funny the one time, but now it's just, just stop. Um, and I think as far as, to as, as far as tokenism is concerned, um, I've been, I, I, it was another musical that I was in where it plays on a token black character. Um, the whole story is centered around this person. Um, and when I was in this show, um, and this, this is also another topic, um, I was, it, so you had your ensemble and then like some other part of the ensemble that wasn't part of the main ensemble cast. And it, it was just, it was just really I can't really explain it without actually talking about it. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's just, it's just one of those shows where you have your one Black character and nothing but white characters or, you know, the theater assigns all white uh, actors to play the rest of the roles. And that's, that is tokenism. Um, Avenue Q is a tokenism show. Excuse me. 
Avenue Q is a tokenism show. You have um, somebody, you have somebody, normally a black woman, playing the role of a man, Gary Coleman. Um, and then you have a, a, an Asian character. And when they don't have an Asian character, it's usually played by a white woman who, who plays Christmas Eve. Um, so when you don't have an Asian person playing that role, you end up being the only black person in the show or the only black character in the show. So it's, it's, it's something that white theaters need to get out of the habit of. Um, I was actually speaking to someone not too long ago where I would personally, I would love to see an all black cast of Next to Normal. Oh, me too, that's my big idea. I would love to see that. And the reason why I would love to see that is because of the fact that mental health is a big, huge topic within the black community. Because a lot of the time our elders just tell us to just pray it away. And that just, that just doesn't happen. You just can't do that. Or if, if you even talk about that you're, you're suffering from anxiety or depression, they'll just say, well, just toughen up and you'll be fine. You know, it just, it, it just doesn't happen like that. When you actually need help, you need to seek professional help. And within the last several years, that topic of mental health within the black community has picked up some, some momentum. So I would, I personally would love to see an all black cast of next to normal. Yeah, I want to jump in on two things you said, Ashley. So first <laughs> thing is that access to mental health care and the perception of mental health care in the black community feeds directly into that stereotype of black women as this monolithic expression of strength and, and mm -hmm. deprives us of the opportunity to be vulnerable with each other and with the outside community, right? And then the second thing is the topic of interchangeability in these token shows. You know, like you were saying, if there's no if there's no one who's available, who's Asian to play Christmas Eve, people will cast a white woman. Here's the thing. How many of us have been interchangeably put into like black people roles or into other like dark skin POC roles? I know I've been asked to play, you know, Puerto Rican 5 million times and that's cool. I speak Spanish, but I'm performing a, a culture that isn't mine. I'm borrowing from a culture that isn't mine. I'm taking away an opportunity from a Latinx actor because white institutions don't see us as different. Mm -hmm. You know, I was reading this, this article written by a black man who was in a production of Hairspray and he is like a, a very light skinned black man singing Run and Tell That about the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice, a, a, a dark skinned a dark-skinned black person's response to colorism. That's not his song. But, but the white institution that he's working for doesn't see those shades, doesn't literally those shades mm -hmm. of, of different interactions among black people and sees us as interchangeable people. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's, um, tokenism is fun for me 
Um, no, it is because I think we're talking about tokenism within tokenism within tokenism. Um, to start with, in terms of being offered parts, you know, because I'm a black person, I have gotten offered parts in which literally I would be completely wrong for the character in any other aspect, as in the character is in their 50s, as in the character is missing a leg, as in the character is doing, you know, every other aspect except I am a black person. I got called back from Muzzy Von Husnier at 16. She's 60. Yep, yep, yep. It's, you know, and so there's tokenism there. There's absolutely tokenism when it comes to interchangeability. This idea that one, um, one black person is as good as the next black person is as good as the next black person. Ooh, ah, ah, ah. Um, I happen to write a show partially about this. Um, about, it was, it was a show called Tales from the Mitten, and it was about mine and another actor, Luna Alexander's experiences being actors in Michigan. Um, and as part of that, I wrote a monologue because the show was set around basically a series of auditions. Um, and a portion of the monologue towards the beginning of the show basically went, it's kind of an open secret that black people in the United States are interchangeable, right? I mean, going all the way back to plantation days, one gets injured out in the field, bring another nigger in. Well, the same rules apply in theater. And okay, yeah, sure, now there's a big diversity push, but that's a very new concept out on the coasts, and it hasn't really made it here to Michigan yet. In Michigan theater, plantation rules go, and black is black is black is black is black, no matter what the part. If there is a part, and there often isn't a part, except occasionally someone will be doing a script by a black playwright or a person of color is directing, but for the most part, it's white, well-meaning scripts from white, well-meaning playwrights directed by white, well-meaning directors for white, well-meaning audiences. And so I'm asked to come in and perform some white, well-meaning person's idea of what a black person is. And I know every other person in the room auditioning for the part. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Um, I have been called for, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Sorry, whoever's talking. No, 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 sorry, no, no, Dan. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I have been asked to play slaves, um, slaves and servants. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, wait a minute. And I know I would have been, because reading, reading the scripts that I've seen, I think one was, was it Helen Keller? Something like, something like that. My, my brain. Um, anyway, but I, like I said, I've been asked to play servants and slaves, and I know I would have been the only black person in the cast. And at the time I was like, uh, yeah, no. I know one time I couldn't do it because I was in another show, but even then I'd be like, no, no, thank you. Because I don't want, you know, cause people will look at me. I know they'll see me in, in a, in a certain area that they'll try to pigeonhole me in. And I really don't want to get, you know, I don't want to be put in that area. Now, I one of a dream role for me, and I don't know why it's a dream, but it just came to me. I would love to play, uh, you know, Mama, you know, for in Gypsy, the mother. I would love to play that role, but you know, if I were to audition for it, I'm not sure if they'd look at me and be like, "Hmm, could she be Gypsy Rosie's mother? Could she be, you know?" So I don't know, but I I would love to see that too. An all black an all black version of Gypsy. <laughs> you see how that goes. That and you know, next to normal, like you, right? Like you were saying, Ashley. Next to normal was a great show. I saw a production of it. And I saw it and I was like it's a great show. And it really, you know, 
it, it should be done. It would get, you know, I, I believe the message would come across that, yes, mental health among the black community, you know, is, is something that should be addressed. And it should, and we should stop thinking because one of the thoughts is therapy and um, therapy and like medication. Oh, that's a white thing. Um, no, it isn't. I'm trying to deal with whatever issues I'm going through right now. And I, and praying is not, while it may bring me some comfort, it is not going to help me in in the long run i'm going to need help i need to talk to somebody i need to deal with because a lot of times if it's not dealt with it because it builds up and builds up until boom and then you're like mm-hmm. so then yeah, let what me happened ask- what? oh no i was just gonna say i i absolutely agree um black mental health is something that is not addressed and it's not considered but it's something that absolutely should be focused on and accepted as part of the normal everyday course of trying to survive in the world. Um, Being strong, uh, trying to pray it away, trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't need this, you're fine. Therapy is a white people thing. Medication is a white people thing. That's how I wound up hospitalized six times in a year for depression. And the last time was involuntarily. Um, I'm sending hugs, Dan. Hugging. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, um, but but even that, even that, I think is part of expanding this preconceived notion of what being black is, and who we are as people, and who we are as actors, and what we can bring to a production. You know, what we can bring to shows. These experiences that we have that are. Um, universal experiences. Mental health, I think, is a universal experience. Dealing with the loss of a loved one is a universal experience. Mm -hmm. So now what steps do you guys think that theaters should take when they pick shows that that don't focus on tokenism or racist stereotypes? Realize that Black actors are not restricted to Black shows. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's First of all, it's as Dan said it was, where the seminal works for Black actors, especially for Black musical theater actors, are written and produced by well-meaning white people who have Mm -hmm. a monolithic idea of Blackness. So, you know, only calling your Black actor friends when you're doing ragtime is not helpful because ragtime is written by well-meaning white people. And it's a genius work. It's one of my favorite works of art, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it wasn't written by black people for black people um and and then we're talking about productions of of gypsy productions of next to normal these are spaces in which we can visualize black actors you don't have to put a black person in a role that's specified for black people i think that theaters need to challenge the idea that the default should be white Mm -hmm. absolutely right Absolutely. But I would say say do what you do what you say you're going to do. You know how many times I've seen theater companies and they literally say, "Oh, we are we are di- we're diverse. We cast everyone, no matter what their color is." And, and then their actions are the complete opposite. If you're going to do a show, then what you need to do, and you know, really research the show first of all, really research it, and then if you're 
if you're following what you say about diversity, open your mind. Do not get scared and shut it down. Open up your mind and tell the truth when you were doing diverse acting. Don't sit there and, and, and lie and, you know, turn your mission statement into a lie. Cause that is the one thing that bugs me. I've seen so many and they're like, Oh yeah, we're, we're diverse and we cast everybody. And then when they, then when they do their casting, it's like, what the, did you, yeah. did you just lie? Don't, don't lie, don't lie to us. Don't lie to us. We, we're not, but they cast one, they cast one. <laughs> yeah, so they can one. check off the box. Right. Diversity box is checked. Yeah. Um, it's well, like so Roman Wellington Banks. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say it's like Roman Wellington Banks said, the first black Evan Hansen, he was like, you know, we're so busy asking black actors to to fight each other for table scraps that when we cast one black actor, a theater can say that that production is diverse. A theater can say that that production is inclusive because we've mm-hmm. cast the one black actor. Is, is that there are five more in the waiting room who have been in audition after audition after audition for the same role with with the same mm-hmm. and we're not mm-hmm. the same type like like can nope. we talk about how long it took for us to finally get a black Galinda in wicked okay almost 20 years 15 years yeah a long time years. too long and the thing yeah. is i didn't even think i could be glinda i kept saying you know oh i'm an alphabet i'm an alphabet i'm an alphabet Thing is, I'm a legit soprano. I'm not an alpha. Show enough. I came out to save my life. So, like, the thing is, is that, but I only saw myself that way because I thought that's realistically what I could get. And my brother had said from Jump Street, you're a Galinda. This is absolutely your personality. I mean, look at me, I'm flouncy. So, like, the, the, (laughs) but the thing is, is that I never thought that I could get that. And the fact that, like, Black actors and everybody on this panel, has looked at a season and has looked at a show and has looked at an audition notice and been like, ah, oh, they're not going to see me in that. Even though we it's don't, for us, we don't. Yeah. We got that topic too. Yep, we sure yep. do. <laughs> oh, uh, here, but here's, here's something I, I personally get concerned about sometimes, expanding our concept of tokenism further. Do you ever worry about being the Black actor at a particular theater? Say that again, I couldn't understand. Do you ever worry about being the black (laughs) actor at a particular theater? Yeah. This idea that, you know, you're the one that they go to. Oh, yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. Because every theater has its one or its (laughs) two. Yeah. Or if they're really progressive, they're three. (laughs) No. (laughs) The magic three. Yeah. The thing about it is is that the thing about it is is that what theaters need to realize and not just theaters but just just white people in general is that because black people are not a monolith you are not a you are not going to get your white palatable black person at all not all the time and for mm-hmm. you to get try to get away with saying certain things around your so-called white palatable black person you, you you just can't. I've been in a situation before where someone was singing the entire song, a white boy, singing the entire song of Gold Digger. And when I approached him about oh, it, I approached him about it, I said, you can't say that word, bro. You can't say it. Oh, why? Because I'm black? So-and-so lets me say it and he's black. No, no. 
He's not here for him to be your palatable Negro. He's, that's not what he's here for. And I'm letting you know right now that you are being tremendously disrespectful and you're, you're, you're dismissing what mm-hmm. I'm Right. Well, that has been a debate for the longest time. You get the the white people that think they can say the actual word and they'll be like, well, you know, here I can say it because my black friends. And it's like, no. Let's. uh, No. Oh, but well, but you're put in a position. You are put in a position where you're expected to co-sign it professionally sometimes. Yep. Mm. You're you're put in a position where you feel like you have to. Because everybody wants to be employed. Let's go on, move on to the next topic. Yes. And that okay. is Black people in the ensemble only. Um, mm. White theaters have a habit of hiring Black actors, regardless of talent, and placing them in, in a gigantic ensemble where they get drowned out. If that same Black person performs at the theater in another production, they get thrown in the ensemble again and again. And again, so I'd like for you to explain a moment when you or someone you knew was passed over a role with no specificities of race in favor of another actor based entirely on the color of your skin as opposed to your talent or ability. Hmm. I'll go first. So... (laughs) Um, I know someone who is extremely talented and this person was, was a main character in a show that, that I tipped them off about. And, and that, that's another thing that, that I'm going to address like at the very end is that black people, black actors are not here to bring in other black actors for your theater. This is not a, if you build it, they will come situation. Um, but this person was fantastic in their role and then every single show that they did at this theater they were constantly a uh secondary or uh third third character that that doesn't really get much stage time or they're in the ensemble and then that's it when they can clearly they that person themselves can clearly hold a stage of their own, give them the role that they should definitely deserve. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it keeps happening. And, and, and I, I love this person very dearly. I just wish that this person would realize that your comfortability in being at this theater is being overlooked because they only want to put you in the ensemble. Mm-hmm. I feel like we, I feel like all of us have experienced that though. I feel like every single person on this panel has been in a scenario where they have auditioned for a part. Um, and I would wager to guess that a lot of the time it's auditioning for a part that isn't specifically black, where it's been between them and another white actor and they have gotten passed over for the role mm-hmm. in favor of the white actor. Um, I specifically have an experience that's actually a little bit weirder. Um, so there was a show that I auditioned for once. 
um, I was auditioning for a particular part. The character description wasn't very specific, but it did specify that the character was not Caucasian. Mm. So I auditioned for the part. Um, I got a callback for the part. I thought that the callback went very well. Um, I wound up getting cast as an understudy for this particular part. And I thought, great, awesome. Um, I'm always happy to be hired. I, I can't wait to see, you know, who's actually playing this part. At the same time, I was sort of wondering because, I mean, like if, if you're a black actor, like you don't, you don't know everybody in the community, but you know a lot of people and the rest of them, chances are you've heard of. Um, so I had no idea who was actually going to be playing this part. So I show up um, on the first day of rehearsal and I see the actor who is playing the part and the part is being played by a white actor. Mm. Despite the fact that the play itself specified that the role was not meant to be played by a Caucasian actor. Um, now, the actor who played this part um, is a great actor, great person, um, super easy to work with, like, a great guy. Uh, we, we talked about the experience afterwards and it was awkward and uncomfortable for both of us. But in some ways it was really awkward for him because he knew that he was playing a part that was not supposed to be played by a white actor. Yet here he was a white actor playing the part, looking across the table at a black understudy for the part. which was a whole amount of weird added pressure on that actor because this idea of appropriation is now in his face and now through no fault of his own being an actor who wants to work, now it's his problem too. Mm. You know, um, it, was, it was just a very interesting experience. So tell me if you guys have ever felt torn between the desire to for, a cons, for consistent work, no matter how marginalized, and the desire to go for larger roles, even if it meant possibly losing consistent yet marginalized work. Me! Go ahead, Dinah. Um. <laughs> But I, in my case, I have to add age to it because I'm in, I'm 44. And so, you know, I'm, I, I have, one of my biggest fears is that the amount of roles for me is, is getting smaller because I'm, you know, because I'm older. I mean, you can see it in my hair. Um, so it's like, if I go for a role that, you know, possibly could be played by, a younger person, or even even if they have a wider age range, it could be that a younger person is going to get that role because directors want to see a younger person as opposed to you know somebody my age playing it. But the desire for larger roles, I just I go for that as a challenge for myself to see what you know what could happen. 
but I I I have torn felt torn in many pieces sometimes over this, and it it, it gets to me sometimes. I mean, there's times I'm just like, man, should I just should I just pack it in? I mean, I've I've been around theater since I was 17 years old. And it's something that I have thoroughly enjoyed since the age of 17. I mean, I started off as a band kid in band and then at 17 did my first, you know, uh, did my first play. It was a musical. But at this point, it's like, ugh, I don't know. It's just, I, I want to be consistently working. I enjoy being on the stage, doing whatever I can, but, you know, I don't know. It does get to me. It gets tiring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it truly, does. It truly gets tiring after a while. I mean, for one, it's like, you know that you want the work. You know that mm-hmm. you you want to be in this show because yeah. it, it's, it's based on whether if you love the show or, you know, you have to get it because you might need it for your equity stance or what, what, whatever, right. you know, you know, you need the work. So now you have to compromise with yourself um, when getting a show and your talent is not recognized and, and you're thrown in the ensemble and there's nothing wrong with being in the ensemble. However, no. when you're, when you're presented with a situation where you're constantly getting the ensemble work and you know that you can do that character, yep. but they're not seeing you as that character because you're black or because you're mm-hmm. of a specific age mm-hmm. you know, and they keep overlooking you. That shit gets tiring very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. Yep. I want to, I want to tack on to that because the desire for consistent work is obviously there and the desire to go for larger roles is absolutely there. And the thing is, is that you can go for a larger role all you want, but if you don't get that call back, if they just can't see you in the role, then, then it doesn't matter what you go for. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here's the thing. Right there. Right there. Here's the thing. This is a particularly, um, this is a particularly fraught topic for me because I feel like this happens to me a lot, but I want to share some actual feedback that I've gotten from actual theaters. Again, not naming names, but Mm -hmm. you know, where, like I said, I I sing legit soprano. And so I'll go in for a role and people will say, Oh, well, you know, I just didn't see you there. And, you know, I saw you more for this character part, but she's an alto and she's a belter. Can you belt? I don't, um, I just don't see you as as this this role. Um, or or my my personal favorite was I was told by a theater at one point that casting me in a romantic lead opposite a white person would make their audience uncomfortable. And I I yep. am struggling with that because the thing is is that if that person from that theater felt comfortable enough to tell me that how many people how many theaters not just in southeast michigan but across the nation are casting in that way and they don't feel comfortable enough to tell their black actors that Mm. oh it's probably a whole lot a whole lot yeah right and and the thing is is that it's again assuming that a white person is the default for those roles Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be a stretch casting 
just based on the color of our skin. We shouldn't be against type based on the color of our skin. We are worthy of presenting ourselves in a way that is complex. We are worthy of being shown as being loved. Mm-hmm. We yeah. are worthy of being the hero, you know, and, and people, people are talking about in this moment, how do we make black people feel equal? How do we make black people feel seen? How do we ensure mm-hmm. that black lives matter? Right? Yeah. So here's the thing, mm-hmm. there's a direct correlation between showing black people in the center of a story, between showing black people as people who are complex, as people who are loved, as people who are torn between things and experience a range of emotions other than angry. Mm -hmm. And somebody in that audience not crossing the street when they see a black person. Yeah. There is a direct correlation and we as theaters and we as artists have a responsibility to educate our audiences, to drag them kicking and screaming into a place where we are equal, where we are seen, where everybody has a spot because everybody has a story. And, And until theaters that are primarily white or that are run by white people normalize the existence and the complexity and, and the heart of black people, we're not doing our jobs. I am so glad you said that. I am so yeah. glad you said that. Because to be completely honest, yeah. I think so many people don't understand that there is that kind of responsibility in art. There is that if art truly is meant to encompass the world and tell us about ourselves and the way that we live mm-hmm. and who we are as people, as all of us as people, and yet at the same time, you choose because let's keep in mind, all of this is a choice. You can make another choice, mm-hmm. but all of this yep. is a choice. Mm-hmm. To marginalize Black people, to marginalize Indigenous people, to marginalize people of color, or else to confine them within a white context, a white performative context. Mm-hmm. Literally, in many cases, for no other reason that you know that presenting us in this way will sell tickets. But presenting us in another way might make audiences uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And oh, did I mention that the part that I was the understudy for while a white actor played the actual part was for the role of a boyfriend. And the girlfriend was a white woman. Mm-hmm. There it is. Um, yeah. Let's um, move on to white saviorism. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Along with tokenism, there are shows that have the element of white saviorism, a moment when a white character mm-hmm. or a white person in real life constantly feel, uh, constantly helps or feels the need to help BIPOCs in a self-serving or clout-chasing manner, or a show that has a Black character whose sole purpose is to advance a white narrative of hero or savior or cultured, leaving the description of the black character a heathen or uneducated or lost without said savior. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. theaters still gravitate towards shows like this. So explain a moment when you performed in a show with white saviorism and what are some key traits that theaters should keep an eye out for to avoid shows with white saviorism? I'll go. Mm. Um, (laughs) Now, 
I know that I'm probably going to make some people mad. I don't know who on this panel has performed in this show. Um, and it's a beautiful show. It really is. But when I, when I initially watched it for the first time, I immediately saw white saviorism. And that's ragtime. Mm. Yep. Yep. I, I, 100%. I truly feel, and in, for anybody that loves ragtime, I am sorry, but I am not sorry. It plays on white saviorism, white saviorism by the character Mother, who it constantly feels like she has to just barrel her way through trying to save everybody. And, you know, granted that the way that it was written made it seem like Sarah and Cole House would not have ever even found each other if it wasn't for Mother. But the fact that she comes across this immigrant man and she feels like she's got to save him too. And then she's preaching to her husband about we have to do A, B, C, and D and this and that and that. But it's like, it, 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 that wears thin quickly, very quickly. Um, if you're going to do a show about black people or about police brutality towards black people I would highly suggest, and I know Dan is going to smile about this, but mm. the show that, that theaters should definitely consider is Kill Move Paradise. Dan, Jonathan, uh, Miles, and uh, Miles Bond and uh, Des Walker were in that show. And it they, was great. All of them were absolutely magnificent. The show mm -hmm. itself was written beautifully. The actors were beautiful in it. And it told our story. Ragtime is a story from a perspective of a white person, a well-intentioned mm -hmm. white person. But it's not our story. It just happens to be a story that a white person said, oh, you know what? I'm going to put this in here and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know, but... Go ahead. Sorry about that. Those stories are also predicated on Black trauma and Black death and Black suffering. Which is something oh. that, oh. which is Not something that white people really do get off on. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, and that is not the Black experience. That is part mm. of the Black experience. But part of the Black experience is also joy and complexity and freedom to express in a way that is not in this well-defined palatable box of the tragic figure who needs to be saved. I mean, I could go on about ragtime. I'm not going to. <laughs> I, I, see, I, I think in many ways, this idea of white saviorism is so ingrained that it pops up all the time and people don't even consider it. Um, and the idea of the supportive best friend in the idea of the nurse who just happens to know all the answers, but yet somehow still never really develops as a character past helping white people learn about themselves. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're able to help advance the white narrative, but really didn't the white people help them too? Because they gave them the opportunity to ex, you know, to expound upon their magical black mm. wisdom, or to 
have a forum to experience their black trauma, which is all, which so frequently, again, is written from a white perspective. And on the topic of black trauma, um, I get exhausted of this. I personally get exhausted of this because this is something that black actors are asked to perform all the time. And it is rare that I have found myself in a situation where I'm working with people who understand what that is and understand what they're asking when mm -hmm. they ask a black actor to perform that. Um, I'm thinking of one show in particular where it was between a black person and a white person mm -hmm. who were in a relationship. And over the course of the show, there was a reveal that even though this couple, this white person and this black person were in a relationship, because the white person was embarrassed about it, they allowed their friends, family, whatever, to assume that the black person was the help. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the black character said, they thought I was the help and you knew that. Mm -hmm. That is a very, very, very extremely loaded and fraught kind of topic of discussion to have, particularly in a show that wasn't really otherwise about race and particularly asking a black actor to perform that. Um, and then watching that show, I guarantee that the response from white audiences and black audiences was different. And for white audiences, it was just sort of touching because oh, well, they had relationship problems in the past but they're together now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Love really does conquer all. Whereas for a black audience, for one thing, um, that's not the kind of revelation that most interracial couples would survive. I nope. speak on this topic only as the product of an interracial nope. marriage. Mm -hmm. um, but for another, that is a sort of stereotype that a lot of black people deal with every single day. This idea that we are the help, this idea that we are mm -hmm. servants, this idea that we are, mm -hmm. you know, there to serve and help and aid white people. And the show was kind of exploiting that. Mm -hmm. And truly, you know, the character, the black character in the show, as it turned out, did nothing ultimately but advance the white narrative. And yet still the actor was being asked to perform this trauma on the stage. Um, so I, I really think it's just, this idea of white saviorism is so ingrained that I'm not sure that a lot of white audiences or white artistic directors um, or white theater companies you can consider it. It's just sort of expected. It's just part of the landscape. Mm -hmm. So then, you know? 
what what do you think are some key traits that theaters should keep an eye out for to avoid shows with white saviorism? Well, I guess if they, if they see it, but, don't do it. Yes. Well, the first the first question is: uh, is the show uh, is the show about race? Period. Yeah. Because there's always the option to not engage in race. But if the show is about race, my first question would be: from whose perspective? Mm-hmm. Who's writing the show? Mm-hmm. Which narrative is centered in the show? If this is a discussion about race. Is it the black character's narrative? Is it the person of color's narrative? Is it the indigenous person's narrative? Or is it the white narrative? Because if it's centered from a white narrative, then almost inevitably it's going to wind up in a situation where white saviorism is involved. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, I, yeah. and I think it's that kind of going back to Brianna's earlier point about responsibility as artists to put you know, to challenge audiences from time to time. Try centering shows from outside of a white perspective. Mm-hmm. You know? I think with um, some key traits that would would definitely stick out uh, to keep an eye out for in some white saviorism shows is if they constantly feel the need to run around helping everybody. Like ragtime is definitely a good model of what, you know, white saviorism is, but then also at the same time, not just white saviorism, but the narrative of using a black character to bring up a white character. you have to you have to pay attention and read a read a story to see if if the presence of the black character is being narrowed throughout the story mm-hmm. just to uplift this one white character and then that's something that you might want to avoid especially if if, if it's in regards to race so yeah um, let's move on to our next topic. This is a fun one. This is, <laughs> this is, this is my favorite. And it is blackface in theater. Yeah. So blackface, a racist form of theatrical makeup that stems from the days of vaudeville is still, still being used today in 2020 in various art forms for either ridicule and disrespect or mm-hmm. accuracy and honor. Yeah. Let's make one thing clear. Blackface or any other variants, red face, yellow face, brown face, in no way is there anything artistic about it. Nothing. It demeans BIPOCs and exudes the privilege of white people by giving them the opportunity to not have to live as BIPOCs and being able to wipe away the paint or spray tan of their faux skin color. So I want you guys to just give me a quick explanation of a moment where you know, uh, where you experienced or someone you know experienced blackface in a show. Actually, it wasn't so much blackface. It was a suggestion of it. Uh, a few years ago, probably, what was it, 2004, um, there was a theater around the Down River area, and they wanted the uh, show Aida was brought up. 
They were afraid to do it because Heather Headley was on Broadway doing it at the time. So there was that. But the other thing they also brought up was, I think it was, oh, no, 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 actually, actually this, this goes in the same thing. And somebody suggested, well, why don't we just get an actor and then we can put them in darker makeup? And I'm just like, and the lady, and the one lady who was a white lady, she actually—I I was glad she said she was like, um, that would be seen as offensive in this day and age. So no. And I was just like, wait a minute, in this day and age, you dare suggest that you get an really? Well, first of all, that's good that so, she even spoke up and said, yeah, no, it was you right. Know, it definitely we, was. We need more situations of that, um, because. First of all, for people that know that know me personally know that I am an avid cosplayer. I love to cosplay. I dress up in various different characters all the time. However, there are a lot of white cosplayers and a lot of them are from overseas in Europe and elsewhere where they are browning themselves up because they want accuracy of that character. It's not accuracy. You get to wipe that color off of your skin when you're done. We don't. Um, and I, right. I, have, I have a strong, strong opinion in regards to blackface because it, for a theater to do that, that, that automatically means that you are not trying to find somebody that is that race at all. Um, and then not only that, but you're, you're just, you're demeaning people of color of that race and you're you're uh you're embarrassing yourself quite honestly like there's no mm. reason at all in any way shape or form a theater should be doing black or brown or whatever face because mm -hmm. they couldn't find people of color to do that show if you're doing a show i don't know let's say west side story or or uh, hairspray. Yeah. If you're doing shows like mm. that, if you're putting that in your season, and you don't have Latinos to play in West Side Story or Black people to play in uh, hairspray, you should not be doing that show at all. In no way, shape, or form. Like there's no excuses. Uh, I don't I've care how good the music is. Someone has tried it. Oh. Um, I was doing a show that involved a tribe of, yes, a tribe of people. Um, it was a fantasy show. And so there was a suggestion, okay, well, what are these tribal people going to sound like? Um, the immediate suggestion was Rastafarian. And then I watched impressions of people trying to do Rastafarian accents. Oh, Lord. These were all white people. Um, I was the only person of color in the cast. I said no. <laughs> um, and, and we came up with something else. Uh, which is actually, I think this is something that probably all of us have dealt with. Um, and for me, this is another thing that's kind of fun. Trying to be more creative in order to steer away from stereotypical or racist ideas or portrayals. Um, 
I, I wrote original music for a show once. I wrote four Ooh. songs because I was not about to do urban. <laughs> um, <laughs> and not that I would not be willing to do urban if that was the particular context of the show, you know, urban. Or if we were doing something that involved hip hop, if we were doing something like that, absolutely. Or if I was working with other black people or other people of color, certainly. But I was the only, again, the only person of color in the cast. And I was the only person specifically asked to do something urban. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I won't do that. And I will tell you what I will do. Write you music. I could do that. I have a good one for you, Dan. Yes. I once joined a production to prevent one of my friends from having to go on in blackface. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yep. Yeah. So wow. That made a black female character. And instead of casting a wide net for some black female actors, I was in the same city as this production took place. Uh, I was right there, friends with the other actors in the cast, right? <laughs> they asked a white man to go on in blackface and drag, a white Wait, gay man to go on in blackface and drag. Blackface and in drag? Get in the, blackface and in drag to do his best. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, uh, no, I'm auditioning for this. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not letting you tank yourself like this. One. Two, to piggyback off of what you said before, Dan, I had to re-block some scenes because this play, even though it took place in, let's say the early 20th century, like pre-World War II, because I don't want to get too specific about what show it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to reblock some scenes because even though, even though it took place pre-World War II, the blocking for the scene that included all of the black people was a soul train line. What? They blocked a soul train line. Shut up. And it's- No, stop. Stop. soul train line. You know what, for like real- That's disrespectful and horrible. For real, we're gonna pause right there and we're gonna go on to the next topic because we gotta we gotta get this moving. Um which theater was it? Which theater was Put it? it down <laughs> Color-coded clothing. Now this is actually um my first time hearing of color-coded clothing. Yes. Me too. I've so, I've seen blackface and I've seen um everything else, but I have mm-hmm. never seen color-coded clothing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I have, I just didn't understand what was going on. Well, I'm about to explain it. So, you know, and I'm going to give you an example, too. Um, All right. Just the same as blackfacing, using color-coded clothing to differentiate a character from the white actor playing the character, Mm -hmm. i.e. wearing brown or black clothing under the costume or as the costume to identify the character as black. Okay? So... The incident that that I know of, and I'm going completely based off of um, production stills that I've seen, where a theater did a show, they had a token black character in the show, and what was told to me was that they didn't have any black people to audition for this role. Um, This character is a black woman, um, so they didn't what was told to me was they didn't have any black people. So I'm guessing they would have accepted a black man as well to play this mm-hmm. character. Um, 
and it ended up being a white woman playing this role. So I later found out that this, that this character, that this character was done in a form, cause there's also a movie about this, about this uh, show. And it was done in a, the char- the, so the character in the movie was not the same character in the musical, okay? So they, they, instead of doing the character that was in the musical, they did the character mm-hmm. that was in the movie for this show. And they had this white woman dress up in a complete black outfit. She didn't black I know what you're talking about. Stop. Yeah. Stop. They they had her dress in a complete black outfit yes. for this show. I don't know what happened with the show um, because I refused to see it because first of all, that show was completely racist in the first place. Um, and the this the the show that the show revolved around this one particular person and this one particular person was a racist anyway. So it bothered me tremendously that this theater did this show and put this white woman in all black clothing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not that and, and from, from, I don't know. I don't know if they had her play her as the black character but the fact that you still had a white woman play this character and then on top of it you put her in black colored clothing as like maybe Mm -hmm. a a memoir or some crap or other to the actual Mm -hmm. person so yeah yeah has anybody experienced that no I'm the only one? Perfect. All right. <laughs> so let's That's move on. Special. Yeah. But I will definitely keep an eye on now that I know it's a thing. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, next topic is white actors altering black roles. Casting white mm-hmm. actors as they are in originally black or POC roles is as damaging, if not more, than black facing or color coded clothing. Doing all three forms of racist casting continues to spread the message that theaters are not looking for us, that we don't exist in their eyes, that we are easily replaceable and that we cannot speak our truth. So explain a moment where you've witnessed or know of a white actor playing the role that was originally for a BIPOC actor. And then explain to me aside from the obvious of hiring BIPOC actors, for BIPOC roles, what are ways white theater leadership can bring more BIPOCs to their theaters and keep them there and attract more? Well, I mean, I think I already talked about that. You sure did. I talked about (laughs) my experience, Um, you know, again, and the actor who played the part was absolutely lovely. Mm -hmm. He is a great actor. He is a great guy. the part was written specifically for a not Caucasian actor. And in fact, the show has gone on to be very popular. And every subsequent production of the show uh, that I have seen, that has been the case. 
Um, this show has played nationally. It has played internationally. Um, and in every single production of the show, except for the one that um, this other actor and myself were involved with, it has been a person of color playing that part. Um, which again, it's a little bit interesting. So as far as like what theaters can do, and, I, and I'm extremely huge on this topic because it's a lot of laziness that theaters mm -hmm. are doing or not doing actually. First of all, what theaters can do is they can go where the people are. If you are looking for black actors mm -hmm. for whatever show that you're doing, let's say it's uh, um, um, Hairspray. Let's say you're doing Hairspray and you need about 10 black people to fill out the show. You've got five. If you need five more for your show, you do not fill it with other white people at all. No. What you do is you go to where those people are. If, yeah. um, if you are, if you're a theater in Southfield and in, in the further parts of Southfield, that's, um, actually, let me use this example. Speaking of downriver, if you are in the downriver area, then the next spot that you will go to, to try to find black actors would be Southwest Detroit or Ecourse. Those are your next mm -hmm. spots. You go where their, um, their activity centers are. You put up postings saying that we are looking for black actors for our show. That's mm -hmm. one. Number two, another way how you can make sure that you're, that you're welcoming BIPOCs for the show is by putting up your um, audition notices saying that we are looking specifically to um, we are specifically looking for people of color for these roles. We need, we are welcome to all these people to audition for the show, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Um, There's also a database. Yes. So there, yeah. is, there is also the Black and Brown Theater database. Um, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I can I touch on the Black and Absolutely. Brown Theater database because they Black and Brown Theater holds a special place in my heart. I my name would not be uh, what's the word I'm looking for out there I guess as it is in Michigan theater if it was not for the Black and Brown database. I can remember coming back from down south to Michigan, wanting to act and not knowing where to find auditions at all. Mm -hmm. So I, I took um, a class at the Michigan Actors Studio, loved it, found out how to find my own auditions. Then I learned about the database and then all the auditions found me. So um, I just want to, if anybody is out there listening and you want to get into um, acting, you want to know how to find auditions, join the Black and Brown Theater database. It is a great thing to do and to be a part of. I just had to put my little two cents in there about that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, the, the, all of this is, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. I actually have more topics on this. However, um, 
we're running a little short on time, which I thought, and me and Brianna, we actually said this before that we might have to split this up into two parts. <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's exhausting. It's all exhausting. Um, it's even more exhausting to live through it. We hope that, first of all, I hope that I can turn this into a second part series for this and we can continue on the other half of these topics. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I hope is that for those that are listening, um, I hope that, that you all are learning from this. I hope that you understand that the tactics that have been used during your processes of running your theater have been damaging your black actors and your BIPOC actors. Um, I don't mind expressing my opinion. However, <laughs> I don't mind expressing my opinion on something if you have a question. However, I am not here to teach. There is a thing called Google. Um, <laughs> and, but I, like I said, I am definitely here for people who are ready and willing to go forward and to keep moving and to make theater a safe space for their black actors. I am all here for it. I, I think um, all of us are. I think yeah. all of us on this, on this panel are, um, and but I think the, I, I, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the other, the other thing to also think about and, the, and just to retouch on it is that if you're looking for your actors of color to come and participate in your shows, again, go where they are. Do not expect your actors, your BIPOC actors, to find other BIPOC, BIPOC actors for you. That is up mm -hmm. to the AD. That is up to the president of the theater that is up to the casting director or governor of your theater if you have one. That is not up to us. Our job is to perform and to rehearse. And Say that, that is again it. for the people in the back. Our well, job, our <laughs> job is to perform and to rehearse. That's mm -hmm. it. But I think, I think this is part of where like, and this is where future discussions are gonna be great as well. Um, Dealing with race, dealing with racism in theater can be approached from so many different angles and needs to be approached from so many different angles. Um, because a lot of this is basically endemic of a problem that in some ways people aren't even conscious of the fact that they have. You know, artistic directors aren't going to to think anything necessarily, white artistic directors, of asking black people to do this kind of work for them. Because they don't realize in and of itself how problematic it is. White artistic directors or white directors or, you know, theaters with predominantly white leadership are not going to necessarily recognize this idea of white saviorism. Because they, it's easier to ignore it it's easier mm -hmm. not to challenge yourself. It's mm -hmm. easier not to expand. Because like Jonathan had said earlier, once you acknowledge the existence of a problem, you have to do something to change it. 
if, if you're serious, if you're serious about acknowledging the problem, then you have to do something to change it. And a lot of that change comes from within. It comes from yourself. You know, now, it, as, it can't come from us all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, as the, now I will say this, as white theaters do understand that they need to bring more shows um, that either revolve around black people or have more black people in their shows, you're going to lose your white audiences. Sorry, you're not gonna, sorry. You're, no, see, here's the thing. You're going Some to lose them, your problematic white audiences. You're right, going to lose your racist white audiences. I like, yes. Yeah. You're going to lose your white audiences that refuse to understand that we are now currently in the year 2020 and that black lives do matter and that the world is expanding and that all of us deserve mm -hmm. the opportunity and the right and the privilege to be on stage telling all of our stories because we all share a common humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the question I would ask is, are you so concerned about money that you'll even take money from racist white audiences? Are you so concerned about finances that you will be willing to cater to racist white audiences? Are you so concerned yeah. about keeping the lights on or whatever particular standard or whatever that you will cater to racist white audiences? Because that, that is a choice that you can make, mm -hmm. but it's a damaging choice. And not only is it a damaging choice, I think artistically it's a reckless and a limiting choice. Mm -hmm. Because I, theater should not just be about money. If, mm -hmm. you're, if you're truly serious about theater, if you're truly serious about art, then yes, finance, absolutely. Look, all of the theaters are closed right now. <laughs> money is a huge, huge yeah, concern. Sure. Yep. But if you're sure truly is. serious about theater, it can't be the only concern. And also if you're borrowing black bodies and you're borrowing black voices, Yes. To make yes. your business money, then you have an obligation as a business to tell your audience that those black voices and that those black bodies do matter. Mm -hmm. You can't prioritize a business that was built on our labor and our body and our voice and then say that that's more important than our labor and our body and our voice. And not Wait, are just you talking about theater or are you talking about America with that? Yes. <laughs> and not just borrowing. <laughs> not just borrowing black bodies, but also when you borrow that, those black bodies and then you try, then theaters so-called try, try to um, quote unquote soften their black looks mm -hmm. through whatever the show is or through whatever makeup person you have. I've had an incident, not me personally, but I've seen an incident where a black lead was getting her wig being helped on and the girl told her, oh yeah, the board was trying to figure out how to do your hair and to soften your looks. And I immediately said, you mean whiten her looks because that's all that they were trying to do. So you should not be, borrow you should not be borrowing black bodies and then expecting to change their outwardly appearance just to satisfy the comfortability of white people. I was told one time I needed bronzer because I appeared too dark on stage. I had a director actually tell me that. This is also a place where we need to hire black lighting designers. Yeah, please. If somebody looks yes. too dark on stage because they're black, then there's something wrong with the lighting plot of that show. 
Exactly. All right. See, what I would say is a town hall. If the like, especially like if we have like the theaters, say Down River area or whatever, go to where the black actors are. Have a town hall. Bring them all in and say, look, this is. We need to have a discussion about theater. What do you want to see? How can we bring you over to us so we can, you know, we can have a wider expanse of actors what do you want what do you need that's a question that needs to be asked and it needs to be like a huge town hall to bring because they they will come and be like oh yeah i get the chance to say what what we need let's go and then that way they can even get the name out there even further but they got to be willing to go where the people are yeah well i appreciate you guys so much i really do this was one hell of a talk and I hope that we do a second part and explore the other half of this list. I'm, like I'm I'm not kidding y'all. I got like 17 topics on this. Um, <laughs> but I hope that everybody that tuned in today that you learned something that you're willing to change, you're willing to adapt. Um, we appreciate all of you that that have listened. Um, I appreciate those who did not get the chance Uh, right now to view this that they're viewing this later on today um i just appreciate that you guys are taking this time to actually listen to us so thank you again my name is ashley m lyle um thank you to my panelists you guys have been fantastic i appreciate you guys taking out two and a half hours of your day to explain michigan theater's (laughs) racism so (laughs) So thank you guys again. <laughs> We're just stopping at two and a half hours though. We can right. keep going. Yeah, right. right. We People can do have a deep babysitters. Right. All of these topics individually. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so just a, just a quick plug for for myself. My uh, this is one of the premiere episodes for this podcast, Black Queens on Stage. Um, you're getting. Uh, three other episodes today, um, one for Elise King, who is a local singer, Andrea, who is a local stilettos dancer, and Andrea Ooh. Patterson, who was in Detroit Public Theater's production of Paradise Blue, who was amazing. Oh, um, so good. I'm working was on... So good. She was so good. Oh, she was so good. Um, <laughs> I'm working on a couple of other episodes right now. Um, I will keep you all informed, but I do hope that you give those episodes a listen and uh, keep uh, keep my, um, my podcast in your ears. Um, if you want any more information, please visit the Facebook page, BLAQ Show Michigan. Um, visit the Instagram page, BLAQN Show Michigan. Um, I also have a Twitter, B-L-A-Q-N-M-I. <laughs> so um, thank you again. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.